What up, what up, party people? Happy Thursday. As always, it is a damn good day to have a good day. And today we got something real special for you. We actually have a returning guest to the podcast for the first time named Lisa Kitasaho. She was, I believe, episode 12 or so, and her life is incredible. Lisa is the head of the Western Cape Cheetah Conservation, and her job is to raise and rehabilitate cheetahs to return them into the wild. If you follow her on Instagram at Lisa Tora Jacqueline, you'll see all the stuff that goes into the everyday to day to actually rehabilitate a cheetah. I will warn you, in this episode, we really got into it. We went into things like, you know, what goes on behind the scenes, like the stuff people don't really see, not the cute cuddling of the cheetah, but, you know, the raunchy behind the scenes stuff that is truly fascinating that goes into actually raising these animals. Lisa really inspires me because she's someone that's just going out there and following her dreams. You know, a lot of people are pursuing ex-hobbies or pursuing ex-business. Lisa, she's just out here living life, being in the present. I just think that's so fascinating. I think it's something that all of us need to be better at. And this is going to be a great way for you guys to get a glimpse into a completely different lifestyle that, if you were interested in, is completely in your power to accomplish. And if you're new to the podcast, our mission here is twofold to educate aspiring entrepreneurs by dissecting the come-up stories of incredible humans, by extracting the golden nuggets that you can apply now to better your life, and second, to have all my friends that are making moves to meet my other friends that are making moves, to create one giant community of extraordinary people. And so in this episode, you will learn what's the nitty and gritty that goes into rehabilitating cheetahs and wildlife, how to successfully pursue a career in helping wildlife, the issues facing modern-day conservation efforts, and so much more relating to Lisa's personal journey and her experiences that can teach you what to do and what not to do as always our team here at len jones party of two loves your feedback we love seeing your instagram comments we love seeing you post about your podcast in the instagram stories and this episode really was in demand by the audience because lisa is just fantastic so if you like the last episode you are going to love this one with that said as always all our episodes are featured on youtube so feel free to like comment and subscribe for more videos in the future and without further ado welcome to episode 46 with lisa kitasaho You are listening to Len Jones' Party of Two, where experts and influencers speak honestly and openly about their keys to success. Sponsored by TrueFace.ai, where your face is the key. For more information on TrueFace, please contact your host at ian at TrueFace.ai. Now, pay close attention, because you're going to learn today. Boom! And we're live with the lovely Lisa Kitasaho. Lisa, how's it going? Very good. Everything is perfect. How are you? Living the dream. It's been a minute since we last spoke, but man, your Instagram story and your just lifestyle breathes fresh air into me every single day I see it. You're always doing something. Yeah, I like to keep busy and I like to be in nature with animals. So there's a lot of adventures going on all the time which I love, of course. It's so fascinating because you took such a different path than most people, you know? A lot of people, you'll typically see someone, you know, jump into, especially out of school, they'll jump into some sort of nine to five that doesn't exactly fulfill them, but they're doing it because they got to make some money and they're, you know, they're doing what they think best. And then part of them, I feel like there's a part of everybody that like a wild animal part inside all of us that just wants to be in the jungle, Tarzan style with the animals in nature. But, you know, very few people ever absolutely send it and do it. And you're this living, breathing, beautiful example of someone that is out there living this dream, but also helping conservation efforts. And so everything you do is just fascinating. So thank you for what you do. (laughs) Oh, thank you. No, I mean, I'm just so grateful that I can actually that. I've got this um, opportunity to be able to do this job, which I love and as well do something that is important and good and to be able to be like a bit of a voice for animals and, um, and try the best I can. I mean, it's, it is a privilege for me. So I really enjoy it. So, and for people that don't follow Lisa already, it's cheetahs are your main focal point. It seems you're the head of the Cape Western cheetah conservation. Did I say that right? Yeah, Western Cape Cheetah Conservation. Western Cape. And so you're leading this conservation effort. You guys are currently raising how uh, how many cheetahs? I think last time we talked, it was like 11. Um, we've got 15 now. Um, well, we, don't, we didn't, have, didn't have any newcomers. Uh, <clears throat> I believe we had, yeah, 
we actually have one that passed away because of old age so that was sad we had a funeral but um that was expected so it reached like a very old age um so we got 15 at the moment do you know do you have a name for everyone yeah <laughs> all of them have names can you tell the difference like immediately yeah there is um there is four siblings that are still quite young they're three years old so with them, they haven't like really matured into their own. I mean, you, I can uh, differentiate all of them, but sometimes I need a minute to just check it out and see, is that really that female or not? Because they are quite similar in sizes, but they will develop in their own ways. Like there's one male that's very easy to spot. And then there's um, a female that's easy to spot. And then the one male and one female are very similar. So you have to like have a little look, extra look, yeah. <laughs> Where do they commonly come from? Is there like a certain situation where maybe someone's keeping a cheetah as a pet or do you get them from zoos? Like where do you guys rescue the cheetahs from? Yeah, so we, we rescued cheetahs from, uh, from bad places like captive environments. So definitely sometimes people keeping them as pets and then they realize very soon that obviously it was not, not a good idea. So then we could take those individuals in and give them a more natural life and try to also rehabilitate them. It can be difficult if they're very used to humans, but um, we've also had cheetahs coming from, like I mentioned, like bad captive environments. So it could be a breeding facility um, where they're actually breeding animals, sometimes for the exotic pet trade, and there's not a lot of regulations and such. So they can be in really poor condition. And we found animals who were basically bleeding from the nose and having ringworm and just being, you know, some of them needed surgeries and broken tails. So if they would have been left in that um, environment, they wouldn't have survived. And the place isn't, it's all about making money. So they wouldn't actually give them the, the medical attention that they would need. So sometimes we've been lucky enough to find out, find out about the situation and go in and, and take action and help the animals. Yeah, that's incredible. And there's so much I want to ask on that. Like since our last conversation, I've always been thinking and been waiting to, to get back on the pod with you to ask these questions. But before we jump into those, I think it'd be good for the listeners to know a little bit kind of the story of how you became, you know, the head of this conservation and how this Sweden girl is, is living in South Africa doing this thing. And you said it all started with taking a trip back, I think when you were in like high school or college. Yeah, well, when I was um, when I was doing my education, um, so I, like I studied to be a like you can say it is the first years of of the veterinarian science. So I'm not a veterinarian, but you could call it like a veterinarian or a veterinarian technician, uh, basically an animal care course or like education. Uh, during that time, I wasn't actually sure of exactly what I wanted to work with. Um, and um, I just let time tell. So we tried a lot of different work and got a lot of practical experience. And I knew that I definitely didn't want to be a veterinarian because I'm more into uh, creating a relationship with animals and like being with the animals rather than just like treating sick animals. So I knew that, but I wasn't exactly sure what. Then we had our uh, internship which was longer and we were allowed to go abroad. So the opportunity to go abroad and uh, one of the options was Namibia. <laughs> so when I heard about that, uh, going to Africa, working with, you know, at a sanctuary, I wanted to do that. So um, we, we went and, um, and I just fell in love with that. So when I was there, I said, because actually to be very honest, I never felt very home in Sweden. Um, I mean, it is my home where my family is, but just living here uh, was never my home. And then I remember that when I was in Namibia, I said, this is my home. This is where I feel home now. Um, and it was just the environment, the nature, the animals around. And I loved the work. And I just, I was dreaming and say, if I can work with this and get like even a little bit of a salary, I don't even care. I want to do that. That is, that is what I wanted to do. And I didn't really realize it until I just did it because it's, it was so amazing. The experience, I wouldn't even have imagined that I could do it. Right. So even when you're thinking of like the dream scenario of being with these animals, you're saying that when you first got there, it blew away all expectations you even had previously set in your mind. 
Yes, definitely. Yeah, because I, I loved it way more. I mean, I, I knew it was going to be such a great time, but I was so in tune with the environment and the animals. And uh, when you have these, you know, orphan animals or injured animals and they, and they connect with you and you feel like, oh, they kind of chose me and feel comfortable with you. You feel like you want to give them everything. You know, you, you are becoming like their mother and their, their surrogate brother and you try your best for them and, and to be their support. So it really, it gave me a lot and a, a lot of confidence as well, seeing all these animals and, and getting to work with them. So that's really where I knew I was in the right place. Was there like a particular moment during that two weeks or so that you were there that like that, that one moment you, you mentioned an orphaned animal that you just went eye to eye with this thing and it just took your heart away and you're like, yup, this is, this is where I stay. So yeah, I must say, um, I'm, I've got a, a soft heart for baboons because uh, there was a lot of orphan ba- baboons um, at the sanctuary for the reason that, yeah, sometimes they get shot. Um, yeah, most of the times the, the, the mothers would either get trapped in a, in a trap or shot. And then there would be like a young baboon baby that would be left. And someone picks it up and then they would bring it to the sanctuary. So there was quite a lot of uh, baby baboons and um, we got to care about them. Obviously, they didn't have any mothers. So they would be together during the day. But in the night, they would get very scared if they were alone. So then we would be caring for them specially and they would come uh, with, with one carer each. And um, what I found very interesting is during the times first when we were bonding with them that they really choose who they like and they kind of choose you. You don't really say, oh, that's my favorite. You realize who they prefer. And uh, one of the younger ones and the smallest one, she really showed me that she chose me. And um, what really made me love Baboon so much and, and just fall even more in love with this work is uh, one of the evenings when we were supposed to take our baboon babies and care about them for the evening. And um, we were assigned to specific individuals. And I already knew that she was going to have a problem that I didn't have her that day. So I was like, hmm, I think maybe I should take Seraphina because, you know, like, she kind of likes being with me. And then they're like, no, no, it's fine. They should be with different people. Um, and then she made a huge drama when she came out of the camp and she just screamed and wanted to get to me. So the lady who was supposed to take her had to let her go. And she came and she jumped up on me too. So I actually ended up with two baby baboons. So I cared about the one I was supposed to and the one, um, the little girl, Serafina, who just had to be with me. And she just, for, for you know, whatever reason, she felt really comfortable with me and she wanted to um, she felt safe. So I, it made me really fall in love even more with the species and with wildlife and just the way that they're so intelligent. If you're walking with them out in the nature and they will just come and put their little hand in yours and, and walk with you and you can just like pull them up and you can, when you get to know them, you can start play with them. But before you know them, they won't accept that, but you can even throw them up in the air and, you know, obviously not very high, but little bit and they really enjoy it and they start kind of laughing it's so beautiful so your mother your mother instincts just come out right away oh yeah <laughs> definitely definitely yeah i want to protect them and i want to you know be a support for them so they uh, well i mean especially when they kind of choose you you feel like you want to give back uh, that trust for sure i mean that's that's so cool and you speak about something that's really exciting it's about the idea of being present and I think a lot of people in our society, and it's not even our fault, it just it is what it is. We live in this world where we're looking at our phone on average about eight hours a day for like the average person. It's, it's insane. Or six hours, I think, is the average amount of screen time someone's putting into their phone. That's it's crazy. <laughs> a lot of time between getting texts, messages, all those stuff. But you mentioned that when you're with these animals, you feel this heightened sense of, of presentness. And I know, I don't know if that's a word, but I think so. But like, I know a lot of people, you know, we all love our dogs and our cats, especially, you know, people love their dogs because when they're with their dogs, they're not thinking about anything else but the dog, you know, they're like seeing just that raw emotion, that happiness, just wanting to be around you. Do you feel like that's like a big reason why people fall in love with this type of career is, is that calming presence type moment? Well, yeah, I think so. I think definitely it is, um, 
it's something uh you you pick up and you feel like it feels natural um you you're not interested in your phone you are you're learning i mean i learned i we talked about that a lot on the on the first podcast how they taught like the cheetahs taught me so much when it comes to patience and and presence and things and and definitely i mean when you're with them and you're in nature you don't think about anything else you're just really enjoying your time and i mean during that uh when the time that i was there i can't even remember carrying my phone around it was the phone was like empty of battery dead in the room and you know i would bring my little digital camera sometimes to get, take pictures of the animals actually my my big camera as well because it was so beautiful to take pictures there so yeah i definitely think that you know people enjoy this kind of work because it's so rewarding and it's it, it makes you kind of enjoy life more because it shows you that you must be present and you must see what's happening around you and enjoy it yeah do you do you meditate um i don't actually uh but i started trying some once in a while i do yoga which is good when it's kind of like breathe work and stuff like that i enjoy it um but i don't do it regularly but i think that when i'm out in the felt with the cheetahs that's my meditation because i can sometimes sit and just look into the vastness and just not think about anything and sometimes i'll reflect over things and you know go through things in my head so that's i would believe is like my meditation when you say out in the the do you say the field or the felt well, yeah, in, in South Africa, we would call it the felt. So that's basically the field or in the nature. Yeah, there's just a word for it. Um, I love that term. Yeah, I feel that way when I scuba dive. I think that I still am struggling with meditation. If you guys listen to the podcast continuously, you know that I'm always working on it. Um, but I feel like when I scuba dive, it's the one time in my life I for sure know I'm meditated because I'm not thinking about my phone. I'm not thinking about anything else besides the fact that I am breathing 60 feet underwater. I need to continuously breathe. And I'm just amazed at the beauty of nature. I think coral reefs are the most fascinating, beautiful things in the world. That's why one day I'm going to have like a five, 600 gallon saltwater aquarium because that's a very, very cool hobby. Um, but, <laughs> but, you know, it's just really interesting. So circling it back, you went off on this trip when you were in university, you came back to Sweden. And then what made you kind of just make that move to just send it? Did you send out some emails? Like what actually got you that first opportunity to say, all right, I'm packing my bags and going? Yeah, I was very lucky. So basically I knew what I wanted to do, uh, but I was very lucky. So one of the contacts from Namibia uh, moved on because they had like a like six months internship, like, um, and uh, they were doing guiding. And uh, basically went to South Africa and, and, and started working as a, as a field guide there. And uh, I was lucky enough to hear from him that he said, well, they've got a, actually it was a apprentice program. So I got this uh, opportunity through that. And I said, and it was focused on cheetahs. So yeah. And uh, I was like, yes, I want to do that because I even got a little bit of money for it. So I was more than happy. And that got me through the door because then I could show what I can do and uh, what my experience and my, uh, well, my kind of limited experience at that time, but still I use a lot of my other experiences with other animals, like working with dogs in the military, even horses, like all of those things, key things that I learned, I could apply that into my work as well as my education, which was really great to prove that I knew animal husbandry and diets and also how to care for sick animals and all kinds of stuff. So that got me the opportunity to actually get a permanent position and to stay in, in South Africa. You mentioned you worked with military dogs. Yeah. Did you train that, them? Sorry. What, what was that work like? So, well, that was very exciting. Basically it was uh, training uh, Belgian Malinois and German Shepherds. Um, for the Swedish military, military and police force. So we would be training like adult dogs with, um, you know, sniffing out narcotics and, and training them for that and just keeping them up to date as well as like physically training them, going with a quad bike and training like a litter of puppies, for example. <laughs> not puppies, but, you know, uh, young animals. 
Um, and as well as just training the young ones, training the puppies. So all the different ages, like whatever they need when they're puppies, obviously they need just handling and uh, seeing different environments and, and, and experiencing some strange and scary situations. And then when they're getting older, it's more like physical training as well as obedience and then um, pr uh, protection as well. So yeah, that was amazing. I mean, I, I really, really love that. Um, and I was also doing some kind of courses um, that is a part of the Swedish military, but I didn't go um, through the, like, the whole thing just for animal or a dog handling course. For was, the, that so, through, yeah. was that so, the university or just like you just applied? That was, yeah, that was a private venture that I did. So uh, I guess it, it started out with a practical um, internship that I had through school. So I got to choose that and I went to like an island in Sweden and then there was this kind of organization that were training the, the dogs for, for the police and for the military. That's where it all started. And after that, I started working extra there and I started working there for a while. And then I did this, um, this course as well um, that I was mentioning where we were training our own dogs and other dogs as well, more kind of in depth that would be sleeping out in tents and doing like a lot of fun stuff. 20 years from now when you're all settled down or maybe caught 15 whenever what would be your two dream dogs to have Ooh, that's a good question um i actually for a long time wanted to have a german shepherd but i think i now i would say i would like to have a anatolian shepherd um they are the ones that are protecting the like the the cattle and, and things um from basically from cheetahs so they are in a way cheetah protectors because they make sure that the cheetahs don't get into trouble and that the farmers don't shoot them so i'm very interested about the breed um, anatolian shepherds and then i've got another breed which is very very unique and it's um, a cow de fila it's from an island in portugal where I used to live for a while and uh, they've got this also like protection herding dog which looks almost like a hyena uh, it's, uh, has a beautiful color and it's very strong and um, it's so unique I really like them uh, and I would love to rescue one one day and uh, because sometimes there there is a few that are in bad situations and I found that myself when I was living there and I wish that I could have taken them home so I want to I would like to have maybe those two breeds. Yeah, I'm all about the white German shepherds. They're so majestic um, and beautiful. Oh man. Yeah, they are. And the breeds are so trainable and, and just cool. I, there's just that calming effect, being around dogs, being around animals is next level. But you also were into horses. Was that since you were a, a little girl? Yeah, since I was six. Um, I got the opportunity to ride when I was six and I was just, this is for me. Like, I love it. So since then I was riding first once a week and then twice a week and then I was doing um I was like half leasing a horse so I was basically riding like someone else's horse and helping them with caring for it and going on horse camps first in Sweden and then abroad I went to Ireland for um jumping and uh, I went to Azores and I worked to I worked there with as a horse tour guide uh, so I worked with horses for a while. And it, yeah, I mean, I, I love horses. They're awesome. This is so cool to hear about the the depth of experience you have with all types of animals. Because I know recently you got your own horse, right? Like three or four months yeah. ago? Yeah. Uh, I'm so excited for that. I mean, I've been waiting for, I mean, over 20 years for a horse. And my my mother would know that I've been, I was nagging her so much. Please can I have a... I even was trying to have a little mini Chetland pony like in the backyard. I mean, I was very young, but um, I didn't realize that maybe that was not a good idea. But um, I just been wishing for my own horse for such a long time. And now I've, I've got it and it is so beautiful. Like you have that animal that you've got a special connection with. And I really believe in like natural training techniques and handling of them. So I don't ride my horse with a bit since the day she came to me she doesn't have a bit in her mouth and you can see i love to see animals when they're like they're so intelligent and she was like she enjoys that like she knows that 
she puts it on she almost wants to like scream like she makes a face because she's expecting a bit in her mouth and then she remembers ah no i don't have to have that anymore and it's just like that relationship building on the natural things and um having a friendship and not dominance over them uh that's really what i love and and then having your force that you can build that friendship with is so beautiful that's amazing. My my mother had a horse at one point. I believe it was a Pasafino breed. Yeah. I think, I think she was mentioning that those breeds are very smooth when you're riding them. It's almost like a like very little bumps, like less bumpy, and it's more like a you know nice smooth ride. What type of breed is your horse? Um, it is a cross, but it's a, a South African uh, Burpaird. So they are like really strong. Uh, horses made for being out in the felt and um, very sturdy and they can do the winters and they're strong Um, and then she's a bit of a mix so she probably has a bit of Arab in her because she looks a little bit some uh, characteristics uh, of a Arab actually the face and 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 the, her tail is often up. So um, that's the mix that I believe that she is um, and yeah so it's a strong it's a strong horse, which is great. She goes barefoot, like no, doesn't need any shoes. Um, uh, she doesn't need any blanket. I do still put, put a blanket if it gets very cold, uh, but she looks like she doesn't need it. She, she's like, what are you doing? I don't want that stuff. Are you able to just take your horse at any time and just rip around all of this like open to land in your reservation? Well, I mean, they're, um, they're not exactly like on the reserves so and a bit further away. Um, but yes, I mean, there is a lot of space there. There's like little lakes that you can ride around and vineyards and stuff. So we go in there's of beautiful areas to ride and there's little mountains you can ride up to. And we've got so much to explore and, and it's like, yeah, it's so much fun. Yeah, that's incredible. Well, bringing it back to the cheetahs, the main event, you have, you have all these different cheetahs that you're caring for. And can you tell the story of maybe one particular cheetah that might've caught in your heart more than anyone that has kind of this very unique, just a story in your mind of, of maybe just something that you can tell of like the most impactful cheetah you've ever cared for? Ooh, okay. That's a good question. Um, I don't want to repeat myself. I do know we, we talked about this a little bit before, but let me think. I mean, I, I really have special memories with with each individual. Uh, I I have to say. Well, I think I'm going to I'm going to talk about Iziba. Um, so she is like a special lady to me because of many reasons. But uh, she just to give a background information. She came in when she was about three months old. She had been kept as a pet, and so she came in. She flew in with a helicopter, as fancy as she is, a little clean. Um, and uh, basically, I wasn't. Uh, it was my responsibility from the start. So I, I took her in. We had already prepped an area for her, and uh, since she was without any siblings, without any mother, and she had lived with people, uh, she actually was staying in my house. So I had cheetah proof my house and uh, I had a little extra room for her, which was just, you know, 100% sterile and beautiful and, you know, blankets. And so she couldn't hurt herself. And But the great thing is she was very, very calm when she arrived. I was so amazed that she was purring from the first moment I looked at her when she came out of the helicopter. And uh, sorry, it was actually a little plane. And um, so she was purring, she was happy. And then we just got her settled, got her water and... Uh, from there on, she was staying with me for quite a few months. She was uh, basically uh, living with me. And um, the reason, like I mentioned, was because to keep her comfortable um, because of the environment that she came from. And then what we were working on was also to get her comfortable staying in an, uh, in a camp. So when she was a little bit older at first, I would just make sure that she was healthy and well because she was actually very small for her size. She also had a bit of hair loss, so especially in the face. So I do believe that that comes from a bad diet. Um, so she didn't really get everything that she needed. So probably they were just feeding her lean meats and you know chicken from the grocery store and stuff like that. How old was she? She was three months. 
Got it. Approximately. I mean, we didn't really have a specific age um, because obviously it's not actually not allowed. It's not illegal to have them as pets. So there was not uh, any specific um, documentation or anything like that for her. Um, but um, so when she was getting healthy, I mean, she, when she got the right food, she was growing beautifully and she was really enjoying herself then uh, she was a little bit bigger then I started adjusting her to being in the beginning just like half an hour into a camp and she saw other cheetahs and I would stay with her and then I would you know um, add the time and then I could feel comfortable leaving her so I would leave her for like an hour there and then gradually gradually she was actually um, staying in one of the camps and she was meeting other cheetahs so yeah, that's a whole um, story, but um, the beautiful part is, I mean, the relationship that we got to build when she was staying with me and just waking up at, you know, like four or five in the morning because she's like, you know, putting her paws in my face and like, oh, let's play. Because uh, <laughs> I was the only one, you know, she, I was her friends. Uh, I was the her mother and her friend because she didn't have any siblings. She didn't, so I was the one who would be get jumped on and played with and, um, it was beautiful. It was amazing to see, you know, all the dimensions of these animals when they're young and how brave she was. And she was like a mini cheetah from start and um, she would still have an attitude. And um, and also how amazing, I mean, certain things where they're, you can see they have their instincts. If they see an animal, like they're acting exactly like you would imagine them to, even though they've grown up as a pet, which is incredible. And um and why she's very special. I don't want to call anyone favorites because all of my children are like equally loved, uh, but um, she's special um, and that experience like living together, uh, as well as I kind of feel like she's, she's pretty much the cheetah version of myself. She developed in such a you know beautiful personality. I really, really love to spend time with her. And also we are so similar. Uh, we have all the same traits. Um, and um, I just feel like she's a cheetah version of myself. And we really did grow up together. So it's quite beautiful. And there... she's stubborn. She's independent. She loves to be in the nature and in the wild. She's the kind of um, individual that would just be out for three and a half hours. And like, okay, should we move back? And it's like, mm, not yet. And uh, she wants, I feel like with her, she really wants to be wild. And sometimes she overestimates her own abilities. Like she'll think she's this great hunter I'm like not yet my darling like you have to still learn uh, but she doesn't give up like she wants to continue continue if she tries to hunt uh, an antelope and she fails she'll be very grumpy and she'll like want to keep on trying until she gets something that you know she feels proud about yeah, it sounds like you were just describing yourself until you got to the point of hunting antelope, but everything else was like a definition of you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that is just showing that she's very stubborn and that she's, she's going out for what she wants and <laughs> she won't stop for it. Yeah. <laughs> is there like a point of no return when it comes to rehabilitating a cheetah? So like, you know, obviously, whenever you post about cheetahs or animals online, you're going to get a lot of like aggressive comments that come out of left field, especially whenever you see someone cuddling a cheetah or like being lovey-dovey with the cheetah. Do you think that if a cheetah has been raised, say, in captivity for, say, two years, they can still be completely rehabilitated into the wild? Or is there a kind of a certain amount of point of no return where they can only kind of be partially rehabilitated? No, I, I definitely think that you like, it is all about the individual. It's not about exactly like a time period or anything. Because um, you have to do it according to their abilities. If they need more time to learn hunting, then they need to. I mean, you can't rush that. Um, and everything happens naturally. So it's nothing that you can force as well when it comes to the hunting opportunities and such things. So, of course, the younger, the better, because they can definitely adapt better and they have less, you know, kind of quirks of how they like things. And after a while, of course, I mean, you wouldn't rehabilitate a cheetah that is like older in age. Um, so the, when they're young, it's important to try to 
uh, do it as, as as soon as you can. And uh, but I personally, like with my experience, I do think that having a relationship with them when it is in the focus of rehabilitation is benefiting them because. Uh, not because of you know that oh they like to be with us and all this stuff although they do I feel like not all of the individuals of course and then they get a different treatment but when they do they can actually come out and do these huntings that I'm talking about because if you can't touch them if you can't interact with them the a cheetah that's once been a pet will just have to stay in a big enclosure and that's it because what we can do, which is really unique, is we take them out into the open nature where there is free roaming animals. And when there is opportunity, they can hunt that. And that gives them the uh, experience of hunting and actually learning, how do I do that? In the beginning, they will just go on their instincts and just run. And then they realize, no, that was not good. I have to stalk. Oh, I have to actually stalk the prey first. So they're learning by kind of trial and error and we are there to support it. So if they do something maybe, you know, not right, we can also help, we can support them. Um, it happened that I had to kind of, you know, um, get involved and help, not maybe the cheetah, but the animal, because she didn't know exactly where to kill um, uh, the animal. So we are supporting them in a lot of different ways. And like I said, if you, if you don't have that connection with them and the trust, you can't do that because then they would just run away from you. There's just, why would they stay with you? But because we build that friendship with them and uh, we are working with them for a specific reason, they will trust us. And in fact, I can even let them eat on the prey for a while and then take it from them without them having any problem with that. They'll actually allow me to load it uh, into the vehicle, bring them back, and then use that carcass for like the rest of the genes for feeding. So, which is really cool because we don't have to leave any leftovers in the field or any, you know, aggression when it comes to the food. And that's again trust and relation, like a strong relationship. Otherwise, you couldn't do that. They would just want you to get really far away from their kill. So, uh, I can understand that people have different opinions. And that's fine. Uh, but I've seen in practice what it does and what benefits it does. And it, it's not like 100% sure that each individual individual right. is going to be rehabilitated. But the fact that they've got the chance, and even if they don't, the stimulation for them to still live a wild, you know, kind of a wild life and a natural, more natural life than just being in an enclosure that is for me like what I would have wanted in their situation. Yeah. And this is something that you spoke about a little bit on the past uh, episode. And if you guys haven't heard the first uh, podcast with Lisa, definitely check it out. She went a lot into the conservation efforts and how you can get involved in the process and all of that stuff. But you did mention a little bit, we talked about how a lot of your pictures show you cuddling these cheetahs and this kind of like, oh my God, it's so cute. It's so beautiful. And it raises a lot of awareness. So it has its positives and negatives with every time, you know, you post something about that. But it's interesting because you mentioned that it get you get your hands pretty dirty, like on a day to day basis, like you're doing some gnarly stuff, like really out there helping these cheetahs hunt. Can you kind of explain the, the, the gross stuff that people don't ever hear about with the whole rehabilitation process? Well, yeah, <laughs> I mean, um, the diet is so important when you're working with any animal, but I mean, especially, actually, especially cheetahs because they're very sensitive and they've got a very sensitive, um, in, uh, sensitive intestines and digestive system. So they need everything in balance and right. And that for humans is difficult to recreate. So we are not trying any stupid thing. Sorry, if I'm offending anyone who is doing that at their facilities, but I don't believe in, for example, mixed like minced meat and supplements. For me, that's ridiculous. It's like it's like we would eat a like McDonald's with a vitamin pill on it and say, "Oh, that's gonna be good um, for us," you know. So we make sure that their diet is 100, percent and I am very crazy about making sure of that. So that includes, you know, a lot of 
we call it meat work. So we would do meat work and we would also give for stimulation purposes and enrichment purposes, meat on the bone, but also cutting organs. So cutting lungs and livers and hearts. Um, and just, yeah, because that's so important for, for the animals. I mean, they need to have all, all the vitamins and nutrients that are in these things. And they also need to eat full body animals as fresh as possible. So I'm not gonna go into too much of that, but it just means you have to be really willing to do things for the animals best and to make sure that they are just in, in, in perfect condition. And it is so rewarding when you see that they are, they're healthy and that um, they don't have any issues and they are just, you know, shiny coats and all that stuff. And you know that you're doing it right. So yeah, but obviously a lot of people, they would get very disgusted if you would arrive and see me with like bloody hands inside of a carcass. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. That that's the, that's like so interesting because it just goes to show like there's one side that people see oh my god cuddling animals so beautiful then there's that other side that's like oh yo like are you really cut out for this? Uh, <laughs> it's interesting and you actually mentioned that you'll go on hunts with these animals and like almost show them where they have to bite. Didn't you you mention that? Yeah, I mean some people might think this is a bit too much, but um, yeah, I mean if if they are like they know instinctively kind of where to bite but then they might be on the wrong side like on the neck and then i could just like show them quickly that okay you're a little bit wrong so just move here um and then they will know because they already have that instinct of kind of how to do it but they just need that little extra help and it's just i would do it actually for the for the for the antelope for the animal because i would want to protected from suffering right and uh, so yeah so that's what i would do and then when they got that spot they know it's right and and then everything kicks in and then they learned it so then next time they won't have a problem but i mean some people might think that sounds horrible and rude and torturous for the animal but we have to remember that in the wild they would do exactly that and also it's so important to just remember that this is a whole completely natural hunting possibility it's not like a enclosed area where we place an animal and then they can hunt it no it's just an open space open prey um, and they got equal chances so like i said when the cheetahs are young in the in the wild they would not know exactly what to do in the beginning the mother would injure something and then let the cubs learn how to do that she would show them as well so um yeah just wanted to put that in there because i mean i do love all animals and i don't want to you know offend people uh, but the fact that majority of the cheetahs have learned how to hunt perfectly it's amazing you know so they can they can be rehabilitated and we can we can really do something with these individuals for these individuals so that they can have a natural life again yeah, no, that's intense. I think it needs to be said. Obviously, it's going to make some people uneasy and, and make them be like, well, you just ruined my, my Thursday commute. But the fact is, that's nature. That's that's the reality. That's what you're getting yourself into when you get into this career. And that's what you got to do to create and kind of essentially fix that, you know, food process that it, it is what it is. So um, yeah. that's intense. Lisa, you're 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 an intense human and and it takes a lot i mean just to be able to put yourself out there and, and constantly be doing this this work that you know human beings have interrupted through pollution and all the different stuff we're doing and that's a topic that i see you posting about all the time just you know helping the planet everything we can do to help what do you think yeah. in in your group because you're connected to some of the largest influencers inside of the conservation world what do you think is is our best chance this is such a loaded question, by the way. But what do you think is our best chance to possibly raise awareness towards projects that actually help and, and create real change versus kind of like the Fugazi fake play change? Mm, uh, yeah, I think hmm, I think so important. Yeah, it, it's difficult to say. I mean, to know if, a, if our organization is right or not, sometimes you almost have to see it yourself um and if not do like a lot of uh a lot of uh, research before i mean it's so important when you are 
you're donating or you're supporting organizations and really know what you're supporting because uh, it would be a shame if you're supporting something that's not good. Um, so I think for everyone, it's just it's so important that we are constantly being aware of what we are doing and when it comes to making choices in general life as well as you know supporting organizations and um and yeah i mean uh, <laughs> just vetting the vetting the organizations probably huge because there's a lot of organizations that you mentioned that essentially are more so just trying to get people to play with these animals but they're not really helping the animals yeah for sure yeah I mean, if it's diff- I mean, it can be really difficult when you're not into the field to to know um, if it's if it's legit or not because I mean, people are good at spinning some lies and you know putting fancy words and like, oh, that sounds good. But I, for example, can look at things and say, oh, yeah, that's not that's not serious, you know. So yeah. sometimes it could be important just to. I mean, I try to be, you know, very open with people asking questions. If they're asking me like what age I am on DM, then I probably won't answer because I've said that before so many times. But if you ask me like a serious question, like, oh, what about this organization? I want to help, you know, do you think it's a good one? Or, you know, I want to volunteer. Do you think that this one is is fine? I've checked it out. I would definitely, if I see it, I would definitely answer. And I would, you know, say my opinion. I can't, I don't like accusing people or like being, saying things that I think as a fact, I would just say that this is what I think, this is what it looks like, this is what I may be a little bit cautious about, or maybe I've been to that place or and I'll tell you it's really good. Like you can trust them, they're really good on because there's a lot it's always different sides to everything. Some places are super good and then you have someone talking bad about saying it's bad because of these reasons and this and and it's in the end of the day there's no there's not a black and white situation when it comes to wildlife. You cannot say that because you do that, you're bad or you have to do that to be good because everyone has different opinions and no one knows what the animals feel. So in the end of the day, there's, there's not a black, in my world, there's not a black and white. Um, of course, everything has to be ethical and mm-hmm. white for the animals, right. but you have to make your own assessment in the end of the day. So um, if you, yeah, if you, if you have an idea of, of an organization, it's good to maybe check with someone. You think, ah, this person might know um, or email them, email them some questions and uh, and check out like, what can I look out for to make sure I don't fall into a trap? Um, a lot of times I was mentioning that the other day on my Instagram, it's just that volunteering has become such a, such a business. So back in the days, volunteering was like, yeah it was very different now there's so many people that wants to do it and there's so many places that accept volunteers and they will just tell you that it's for conservation and it's this we do this but there's no real facts and you know uh it can be it can be kind of easy to find out if you ask questions i would say Interesting. And that's what we're doing here right now. And for people listening, I do not claim to be an expert in any of this. I'm as just walking in, just very curious into this world of, of really what is proper conservation. And, you know, you're actually out there doing stuff. And for that, it's just it's amazing. But is there anything? Don't can, can, you, can you still hear me right now? Yeah, I can. All right, perfect. I'm just making sure that, oh my gosh, I need to take... <laughs> No worries. We'll be like almost sort of ish done. So we're, okay. We're I'm just going to quickly organize. Yeah, yeah. No worries. But you know, something I, I am curious from your perspective is, and and I remember even last time when I posted a video on YouTube, it was just kind of like that Instagram trailer promoting the podcast. You know, I got a lot of like not a lot, but I don't know. One out of five comments was like a super aggressive comment of someone telling like what this is so wrong, like what you're doing is so wrong. And before you know it, I'm like going back and forth with these people on Instagram. I'm like, oh, this is just giving me a headache. Like, I, like, I don't even want to be a part of that, that type of aggressive conversation. Is there anything about what you do and like with social media or any comments people make that particularly really upset you? Well, yeah, I mean, of course you, you want to like not pay attention to those things. And most of the times I don't, but I have, 
yeah I, when someone is kind of accusing me of 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 be doing bad things for animals and being like a, a bad person to animals and and doing all like that kind of things anything in that subject of course it makes me really like it it, it gets to me because i care so much about them and i i literally dedicate my whole life and they're my priority all the time so when you have such a big passion you want to do so many things for the future for right now you know and that's basically your whole priority and then someone tells you like something negative then of course it gets to me but i also learning to not let that happen because i realize everyone has different opinions mm-hmm. some people like i said that black and white thing some people say this is you know this is right this is wrong and if you do that you're wrong you're bad you're you're, you're an evil person i right. don't believe in that i mean it's just um it's quite hypocrite when you look at a lot of you know those kind of arguments because i don't find there to be a lot of knowledge behind it unfortunately you know it's just um just an opinion that's being pressured on people and that i think and it's also like you mentioned it's really aggressive and that's not cool because we can have discussions that's fine but i mean like aggressing people is like not cool and it doesn't really serve the purpose so yeah i think um it's something to learn from and uh and and a lot of people nowadays they connect i mean it's good the thing is that we have this awareness happening about cub petting and 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 bad places to interactions and you know that that is really bad when there's a chain drug uh, tiger is horrible i mean no one likes that or a it's terrible elephant that is you know tortured to be ridden you know i'm 100% against all of that thing and um, so of course we are not torturing animals we would never want to but then people have gone and said oh this is so bad i want to be so against that i want to protect the animals and then they kind of just automatically shift over to touching wildlife is bad touching you know because yeah if they if they read something about this place is taking people in to ride on the fence and or whatever species it is do you know touch them meet them then they automatically just think that is bad. I mean a lot of people would actually comment and be like, "Oh, you're a horrible person like that because you're, you know, with uh, with wildlife, you're touching them, you shouldn't they should be wild." And then they and then I said, "But actually work with them. Like if you have a look at my page, then you would understand what I'm doing." And and many times I had people say, "Oh, I'm so sorry. I just like they basically just found my post and just commented without making some research about me." and i said oh i didn't realize you work with that i thought you were just a tourist like going and petting them i said no i mean you know so a lot of times it's that kind of things as well where people just see and they want to mm-hmm. like attack straight away because they're feeling like they're doing something good for the animals then but i mean we have to of course say something when things are not good um so that's very important but i i find that it can be very damaging if you are just randomly attacking people and you're actually maybe going out after the wrong people and organization then it it's it can it can make i think a negative impact for that for those animals and yeah um not in my case because i'm not gonna you know i'm not i wouldn't drop anything for that kind of stuff but i'm thinking that smaller organizations perhaps would like just started and get something like that would maybe like really lose hope and feel like you know what we can't do that and then close opportunity for all those animals i i just had that kind of feeling at some stage yeah it's it's very interesting and thank you for being so open with that and just kind of explaining that like what's going on in your brain throughout you know you spreading awareness and doing this because it's funny because i'll be on instagram sometimes and they'll just be like all these wildlife pages and they'll like share a video of you they won't tag you or know who you are but it'll be you like you know straight head purring with one of the cheetahs and it's like ah oh, it's lisa what's up but then you look at the comments and there's just like so much different opinions right but people don't aren't going beyond the, the fact to see what is really happening and it's just it's it's fascinating the fine line between raising awareness to help but then also not going overboard and then keeping the message as good as possible which you know as nowadays anyone can spin anything so that's a tough challenge it is yeah and it it is um it is a 
is a highlight like you say it's a balance you know you because people love to see my relationship with with the animals in fact that's what people really love and uh, i don't always give them what they want because i try to keep it also kind of you know mixed and mixed information so um squeezing information maybe that they weren't expecting and stuff like that because uh, i find that important and i i, I know that by them seeing me with them, it gives them a different perspective of the animal. So that is also why I still need to show that love and appreciation because until now, mainly people have been seeing cheetahs just uh, on Natural Geographic, how they are True. in the wild. And, but now they can really connect to an individual, they can connect to a relationship and all those things. And I do believe that it is so important for the for the way forward because so far we haven't made some people don't like you know humanizing animals i don't believe in uh, putting like human emotions on animals you shouldn't say this animal happy or how can you know that but sometimes by speaking about a cheetah or an, an a wild animal with their name with their character i mean technically you're humanizing them but it gives people something to grab onto and to get to know and to understand and to love even more. So when when you do that, people feel more connected to nature, more connected to these animals, and and I believe that that can be the change that will make us save them rather than like it has been in the past, where we have been just going downwards. So keep on going with the same thing, like oh, wild is wild, and we mustn't show that we are interacting with them, and that's bad. I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't really see that making a huge impact. I see more that people seeing the beauty of them, the complexity, uh, the friendliness that they can, you know, the relationship, that will make people really want to to step in and, and to help uh, and do some difference. Right. You know, this is something that I, I love asking anybody that's out there making moves towards their goal, whether that be in business, conservation, or maybe you're just into something that's that's particularly strange. It's the weirdos I like the most, people that are doing things different than everyone else and pursuing their passions. And it's kind of this looking back thing, right? Like if you could have went back in time, maybe before you even went on that first trip to to South Africa, before you even got into this whole field, that and you could have told yourself maybe one, two, or three things that would have saved you a ton of time, headache, stress, money, heartache, anything. What would be say some things you would say to yourself maybe at like nineteen? Hmm. A good question again. Um, I guess I think one of my my big challenges have been just I would have probably just told myself, Lisa, don't care what people think or don't care what people do <laughs> to you and just focus on yourself your own happiness because so many times even when i had this beautiful job i was going i was getting distracted by human issues and when i look back at it and it happened gradually that i, I saw that there will always be something i mean either it's a colleague that you're oh there's a problem or a boss that maybe you're having a friction with or whatever it is there is always something and what i feel i wasted some time was to be bothered by those things and actually having that uh, affect my time with the animals i mean not that it ruined the time i was i was enjoying it <laughs> but um i learned that throughout this this i mean the years of, of working in the working world i mean i think it's the same in any place um, and just to say, you can you can dislike me. That's okay. I don't let that affect my life or my experience. My experience with the animals was more important, and so I just dived into working with them and enjoying that instead of being worried or talking to someone. Oh, how can I solve this? Or you just stop caring about that. I mean, obviously, you have to be not be the one causing any issues. But if you're not, then it's okay. You can just just let people think whatever they want, enjoy and do your thing. And that's, I think, maybe what I would told, told myself, I could have saved myself a lot of kind of worried evenings or, you know, having these kind of confrontations because I thought too much about it. And I think 
when you let things go, it just goes easier because then you maybe see the person that you had a problem with and you smile because you don't really care. And then the person is going to say, oh, she's not too bad, actually. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I really believe that would probably be what I would tell myself that might be. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to go back and just think because that answer is very similar to a lot of other people. It's like, imagine if we didn't care about what other people thought about us. Imagine if we stepped into our power and just did what we wanted to do without caring whatsoever other people's opinions. Obviously you got to care a little bit because you know, you don't want your, your whole world to fall apart without you expecting so, but you know, you should do what you want to do and thinking about other people's opinions you just ask anybody that's, you know, over the age of 40 and like, they just don't care as much as someone who's 20 years old. They just simply don't care. You know, typically that's why a lot of people are making moves when they're older versus younger. Cause we're just living in this, you know, this box of caring what other people think. And our time on this planet is so limited and you working with animals and seeing animals come and go. I mean, that's just, that's a, you know, you become so bonded to these animals. You have to deal with loss. You have to deal with a lot of love. I mean, it's, it's hard, right? You're like falling in love with these creatures and next thing you know, something happens and it's, it's a sad thing. So what you're doing is it's, it's tough, but I'm also very curious. What would you say to those people that are right on the edge of maybe getting into in this particular situation, conservation, um, or they're simply, they're like, all right, I'm in, I sold Len Jones. I'm all about the Lisa train. How can I do what Lisa does? They're right on the fence of sending out that first message. I actually saw on your website, lisakitasaho.com, you read a blog post about all of this. So I recommend everyone check out Lisa's blog post. It's fantastic. If you don't know how to spell her last name, just go to her Instagram. It's, it's there. Um, but what would you say to that person that's right on the fence of jumping into conservation and making big moves? Well, I would tell that person just to, to believe in yourself and to, to let go of any of any fear that that you're worrying about that it can go wrong because thinking about things that go wrong is never good think about what you would like and how you would like it and and, and i believe a lot in visualization so you, i mean when i was younger i was visualizing every evening about living with animals so i would say visualize what you want think about it in positive not in negative don't think about what can go wrong think about what you want what you what you would dream of and, and think about how you would like to act when, when it's happening. So you should kind of just mentally preparing yourself for, for whatever it is and um, see the path in front of you, see that that's what I'm going to do. That's how I'm going to do it more or less. And these are the things I want to achieve before I do that. So that you kind of, if you have something really cool going on and about to happen, don't just like think, Oh, maybe it will happen, maybe not. Act like it is going to happen. Just do all the things you want to do before it happens. If it doesn't happen, that's fine. You don't get too upset about it. Go on the next thing. Because if you're really determined, you will find your way. And if it's the right path for you, you will definitely, you know, you will find find that path. Um, so uh, that is quite vague, I would say. But that's kind of the way I'm trying to think as well when, Sometimes things get, you know, complicated and I feel like, well, there's so many complications, so many difficulties, so many obstacles and how will all these things sort out? And then I would just think, you know what, everything will be fine. It will uh, be sorted out in the best way that it can. And all I can do in this moment is to, to nurture my, my opportunity and what I'm doing right now and my um my situation and be happy and be positive because if you don't then things will not turn out very well so then just just to see it it will be fine even if it maybe doesn't go the way that i exactly planned it out to be or thought about or visualized it is because something's coming later on so right. just to yeah to focus on on that and then be positive and you mentioned something real early in this podcast you said you got super lucky like when you got your opportunity, you said, I got real lucky. And I think people need to understand there's a difference between the luck Lisa got versus blind luck. You know, there's three different types of luck. And I talk about this a lot. There's like the first type of luck, which is true, just euphoria luck. Like you're stumbling upon a treasure chest and you just make all this money. Like, oh my God, life goes on. Then there's a second type of luck, which is you're putting out a lot of, you're taking a lot of action. You're stirring up the pot. 
You know, you're maybe sending emails this way, this way, this way. And all of a sudden something bites, right? It's like fishing. You put out a 10, 20, 30 fishing lines and you get an opportunity. Anyone can start doing that today to create their own luck. Yeah. I mean, I I did say I was very uh, short on that. I I said I was very lucky and I was, but I mean, before that opportunity, I had looked so much on the internet about all these different organizations that I want to go there. 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 I want to go to this place and learn about these species and this. So I had done hours and hours and hours of research of places. And I had like these, all these programs, some of them were, you know, unpaid internships. Some of them were, you know, work placements and all these things ready that I wanted to apply for. And then this opportunity came and it was like, like I said, one of the contacts. But I mean, in the end of the day, the contact knew I was the right person for the job because I was so passionate when I was there. People were like, oh, this girl is like really passionate. She really likes it. She like she's good at it. Like animals like her and all that stuff. So, of course, it all it, it was luck. It was luck. But if I wouldn't have gotten that lucky break, I would have been working with animals. Uh, it would have just been a different path. Um, and uh, because I can I was even thinking, oh, I hope this like in like this apprentice program won't take me too long and I get stuck there forever because I have so many other things that I wanted to try out. There's so many other species I want to work with, and that's exactly what happened. I got stuck and I'm like, still at the same place. But I love that you expanded on it because you are now what we call that third bucket of luck, which is you became such an expert in your field. You became such a specialist in your field that when say someone hits opportunity number two, stirs up the pot, they're calling people like Lisa because they're an expert in the field to help them get to that next level. So if you can become the expert, you don't, you're just locked in, just like Lisa said, she was going to be in this field regardless, whether it was this or without. So go out there, pursue your dreams, make moves. Let this just be a reminder that you got to do something. If you don't do it, someone else is going to do it. Life's going to go on. You're going to blink. 10 years will go by. Might as well make moves right now. So Lisa, you're an inspiration to all of us. We appreciate you so much. How can people uh, follow you through your Instagram or follow your journey or how can people reach out to you as well? Yeah, I mean, I'm mostly active on Instagram, um, which is Lisa Tora Jacqueline. I'm sure that there will be a link for that because uh, I've got complicated names. And I'm also, I've got my website, as you mentioned, lisakitsa.com, where I do mostly like blog posts. I mean, I'm getting more and more active. And uh, I also update some pictures. I love taking photographs of the animals. So that's kind of my blog and my my photography and there will be some updates coming soon which is very exciting um as well as i'm working on a youtube which is gonna be a lot of fun <laughs> oh um, yeah i can't wait for that yeah, i had so much requests for that and i just been because i don't really know a lot about youtube so i've just been dragging out on it but now i'm going to do it because there's so many people that wants to see more and they've asked me for for vlogs forever and I'm like okay I'm just gonna dive into this because it's fun as well and people want to see it and so I want to share it and create even more um, eye-opening moments and awareness about what we're doing so yeah so but so far the best way to contact me is like through Instagram like follow my life and my stories um, and the website and then from there on I'll be sharing all the new updates are coming uh yeah this year lovely hakuna matata we got the lion king coming out yeah so cool i can't wait to see it actually (laughs) i know i think everyone is stoked it's gonna be fantastic well lisa thanks again for coming on the show we appreciate you thank you so much it was perfect thank you perfect all right till next time thank you for listening to another episode of len jones party of two If you enjoyed it, please leave us a review and subscribe to stay up to date on our new episodes. And remember, hope is not a strategy. Keep making moves. Till next time, peace.